The Pickleball Show is brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news, and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free. This is Coach Ball from PickleballCoach.com. And here's the host of the Pickleball Show, Chris Allen. Thank you, Coach Mo, and welcome to the show dedicated to helping you play better pickleball, winning pickleball while having even more fun and meeting new friends along the way who share your passion for this great game. I'm your host, Chris Allen. And some of those new friends that we might be making in uh, days to come, they might be a lot younger than we are. Have you noticed what's going on? There's a new generation of pickleball players coming up in the ranks, and uh, they've they've got their own ideas. You might have noticed that uh, in the 2013 finals, you had Brian Staub playing there with Phil Bagley. And then uh, last year in the 2014 finals, you had Brian's son, Matt Staub, playing with Chris Miller. Now, I'm not saying that the torch is being passed or that uh, that our generation is, is done. Far from it. We've got plenty to do and a lot more fun pickleball to play, a lot more championships to be won. But there's a new, younger group out there that is making their voice heard. We're going to talk to one of them today. Mark Rennison runs Third Shot Sports up in Collingwood, Ontario, Canada, a couple of hours north of Toronto. And Mark, like many of his generation, they're uh, they're looking at uh, some of the conventional wisdom and they're asking themselves, well, why? Why is that? And uh, is there a better way? Mark thinks there are some pickleball myths that need to be busted. We're going to talk to him in just a minute. Before we hear from Mark, though, I want to remind you that we'd like to hear from you. Whatever you've got on your mind, pickleball-wise, we want to hear it. We've got a toll-free hotline set up for you. It's open 24-7, so give it a call anytime. It's 1-855-PB-SHOW. That's 1-855-PB-SHOW. You can email us to mail at pickleballshow.com. And if we use your call in the month of March, you are automatically entered to win a free portable net system from our friends at pickleballpaddlesplus.com. Sound good? Just give us a call, one 855 show Back with Mark after this. When shopping for car insurance, consider this. GEICO has been saving people money on car insurance for over 75 years. So if you're serious about savings, it's simple. Go to GEICO.com. After 75 years, they know how to save you money. You're back with the Pickleball Show and your host, Chris Allen. Today's theme, Pickleball Myths. Are there some? Do they need to be busted? Well, this gentleman says, yes, they do. And he's ready to expose them and offer you a different solution. From Collingwood, Ontario, Canada, the owner of Third Shot Sports, Mark Rennison, joins us today. Mark, welcome to the Pickleball Show. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Now, give us your background. Did you grow up in a tennis environment? Yeah, I did. I have uh, was a tennis player for a long time. I still am a tennis player. I've been coaching tennis now for about 18 years. And um, I was the captain of my college tennis team and have worked with some reasonably high-level players here in Canada. Just made the crossover into pickleball recently, realizing that, one, it's a great sport, and two, there's an opportunity to do some work with some new players. You've been coaching for 18 years, you said, coaching tennis? Yeah, I did my first instructor course when I was 15. 
And I did it, you know, to make a little money on the weekend. I was a kid in high school. I progressively, as well as playing and being a national level player, did more and more coaching certification levels and realized at one point that, um, that I actually enjoyed teaching more than I enjoyed playing. I still play and I still play at a college, but I really turned coaching tennis into a career and did the, we have many levels of coaching certification here in Canada and I've sort of gone on that pathway. That's pretty cool to have 18 years of instruction under your belt uh, and only be 33 years old. Uh, kudos to you, man, for just, you know, choosing, finding your passion early in life and, uh, and going with it and making it work for you. Yeah, it was, um, you know, what started as a summer job or a weekend job to make some money. Um, I really fell in love with it. And, you know, for me, the tennis was okay, but it was the teaching that I really liked. I liked being part of other people's success. And teaching tennis was an avenue where I could do that. And pickleball is now showing itself to be one of those avenues, too. Now, the theme of this episode is myth-busting, and I thought you'd be the perfect guy to, to bust up some myths here. I love the theme that you're doing, myth-busting. I think um, there's a lot to talk about. I think I should point out that there are some coaches who have done so much for the growth of pickleball over the last, well, now 50 years, right? And my experience watching YouTube videos or seeing DVDs or hearing about uh, interactions people I know who've had with these coaches, um, these well-known coaches, there's nothing but praise for them, right? These people have done a lot for growing the game. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I think that's worth saying. That said, I think that as we come to develop a better understanding of biomechanics, a better understanding of physics, and can draw on some other sports, we start to realize that there are some myths out there that when you actually look into them quite closely, uh, you realize that they don't really hold up to, to reason. Okay, well, let's get started. What would be a common misconception out there that uh, maybe in your classes you see people, uh, they've adopted this belief, and for whatever reason, it's just not working for them? Yeah, okay. Well, my first one, my favorite one, the one I hear by far the most often, I ask my students, whether they're new players, whether they're novices, intermediates, even some of the advanced players, what controls the direction of your shot? Mm-hmm. And they, they look at me, there's a pause, and I say it again, what controls the direction? What controls where your ball goes? And one of the answers that they almost always give first is the follow-through. And I say, okay, tell me more. What do you mean about the follow-through? They say, well, wherever you follow through, that's where your ball is going to go. We say, let's test this out. And so I stand and I say, okay, I'm going to follow through right towards you. I'm going to hit this ball. I'm going to follow through right towards you. And we go and we do it. And I've hit the ball to the left and follow through right to my student. Mm-hmm. Say, well, what happened? I followed through right towards you. Shouldn't the ball go there? And there's sort of a moment of silence. And if you think about it, the follow through is what happens after you make contact with the ball, right? You prepare your paddle, you're getting ready to swing. You start the swing, you come forward, you make contact, which mm-hmm. lasts for about five to six thousandths of a second. And then the follow-through happens, right? And the ball is already on its way. The ball has already left, right? It is going wherever it's going. It doesn't matter what you do. You could drop the paddle if you wanted. <laughs> the ball, like, it's sayonara, right? It is gone. Some people see the follow-through as like having a little remote control where they can still have some effect on the uh, exactly. trajectory of the ball. Exactly. I once had a tennis student who would hit the ball and and about three seconds later would follow through over her shoulder. And she was, you know, she was a very good student. She was following whatever advice a previous coach had given her, follow through over your shoulder. But the fact is, when you sit back and think about it, it's like the ball has already left. 
where you follow through is not going to affect where it goes. All right. So the the myth is that uh, follow through controls direction. Yeah. And so it actually, in fact, doesn't control, you know, yeah, someone. Yeah. Well, so, well, what does the follow through control? They say, oh, well, it'll control how fast the ball goes. But again, the follow through happens after the ball has already left. So it can't affect the ball. Mm -hmm. Um, It can't affect its distance, its speed, its direction, its height, right? It's after the fact. Now, I'm not saying that the follow through is unimportant. It's important for lots of reasons. It's a good indicator of how relaxed or how tense someone's muscles are when they hit, right? If you have no follow through, either that means your paddle is moving very slowly, mm-hmm. or it means that you're so tense that you're essentially hitting and putting on the brakes, which is um, both dangerous and ineffective. So the follow through is a really important indicator. Boy, wouldn't it be great if it if it did affect the ball? If you could still like, oh no, I need I need a little bit more on that. Oh, get down, get down. Yeah, the follow through as a remote control, I think, is a fascinating idea. And if you could <laughs> patent that idea, I think you'd be a very wealthy man. <laughs> All right, well let's let's uh, consider that first myth busted. I'm ripping it up here. It's busted. All right, myth number two. What you got for us, Mark? All right, myth number two. You should hit the majority of your shots to the center of the court. I hear this all the time from some of my students. They've watched videos, they've watched DVDs, whatever. And yeah. they say, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, just hit most of your balls right down the center of the court. Down the middle solves the riddle. There you go. And so I ask them, well, okay, why? What's the, what's the advantage of hitting down the middle? And they say there's usually two rationales. One, if I hit down the middle, I can afford to miss left or right, and the ball's still going to be in the court. Right, maximum room for error. Yeah, right? It's, the court's 20 feet wide. So if you hit down the center... You do not have to be very precise, and that ball is still going to stay in play. And I actually think that's pretty good rationale. Uh, The second rationale they give for hitting down the middle is, well, my opponents might get mixed up. They might get confused. I might, they might think that one guy's hitting the ball, and the other thinks that the other is, and then in fact, no one swings for it, and I get a free point. Mm -hmm. Okay. So both of those things, I think, have some merit. It's 100% right that if you hit down the center of the ball, you have a lot of leeway left or right. So if I was a brand new player who had no directional control, um, hitting down the middle, I think, would would be good advice. Is it possible that they get confused and they don't know who's going to take the ball? Yes, it's possible. However, it's only going to take one or two times until they look at each other and say, geez, we better figure this out. So how about next time they hit the ball down the center, one of us calls it, right? Right. Or more conventionally, uh, when the ball goes down the center, which player takes it? Well, it's usually the one with the forehand, right? Mm -hmm. It's for most people. So it might pay off for a point or two. But for the most part, that problem is going to be solved. Now, the real problem with it, right? What's the disadvantage of hitting every ball down the center or the majority of the balls? Well, let's imagine you're playing. There's you and your twin brother, Mm -hmm. right? And you're a really great player. And your twin brother is like mediocre. Right. If I hit every ball down the center... I am giving you, the better player, the opportunity to hit every single ball back, right? Because when that ball goes down the center, the two players, they both have an equally good play on it, right? They can both choose. Mm -hmm. And by hitting that ball down the center, we could, in theory, go an entire match where your brother never plays any of those center balls. The weaker player just sort of gets out of the way and the stronger player hits it. You see, this, you see this happen a lot. Um, I've noticed in a lot of the mixed doubles, um, even the top level mixed doubles matches, uh, when those balls get hit down the center or even like off center, the stronger player, um, who often is uh, the guy on the court, will step across and he is going to be able to play that ball. 
So when you hit balls down the center, one, it's not going to take very long until your opponents figure out they should call it or the forehand player takes it. And two, you're giving them too many options. You're letting the strongest player play the majority of the shots. I think it's far better that we train our players early on. I mean, even novice players can have some directional control. And it's far better early on to say, look, um, it's important that we identify who is the weaker player on the other side of the court. And it's important that we try to isolate that player as much as we can, that we make that person, in your case, your weaker twin brother, make that person hit the majority of the shots. Okay. Does that mean you might miss a little bit? Yeah, because you know I'm not playing with such a wide margin of error. And that's why it's important that I learn how to control the direction and I practice and whatever. But I think the hitting down the center um, has too many disadvantages and you know better players will take advantage of that. There you go. So let's say myth number two here is busted. Busted. All right. Tearing that one up. All right. We're talking with Mark Rennison of ThirdShotSports.com, coming to us from Collingwood, Ontario. All right, Mark, you have another myth here that you think has just been, it's been a commonly held belief, but you think it's time to put it to rest. That's right. Myth number three, you should never miss your serve or return. You should never miss your serve or return. Yeah, I hear that all the time. You see on coaches and video and whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, no, you should never miss your serve. Never yeah, miss your serve. Just get it in. Just get it in. Just get it in. Just yeah. get it in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so look, no one likes to miss their serve and no one likes to miss their return, right? It feels like it's a three point. I totally get that. I'm not advocating you go out and you hit the ball out intentionally. But what I am saying is that this idea of you should never miss your serve and return is based on a really cautious, I would say an overly cautious position on how to play pickleball. Too often, the serve and return are kind of treated as unimportant shots, right? They're the mm-hmm. prerequisites. Okay, I got this stupid two balance rule. I'll just get the serve in and they'll just get the return back. And then like the real good part of the point starts, right? I'm up at the net or I'm balling or I'm dinking or whatever. Right. Some this, people say the actual point doesn't start until the third shot. That's right. That's right. Uh, I think that's a huge mistake. And I think that we will see as the level of play across uh, the continent improves, that um, that will be shown to be uh, an overly cautious way of thinking. When you watch the best players play, they do not use those first two shots as nothing balls where they just get it in. More and more, it's becoming important that you try to gain an early advantage. Now, there's a whole bunch of ways to do that. If you were serving, you could gain an advantage by hitting the ball fast, hitting the ball deep, hitting the ball with a good angle, hitting the ball to an opponent's weakness, hitting the ball with spin. And all of those things, none of those are going to guarantee they miss, right? Especially if you play against a better player. But it improves the chances that they play a weak return considerably, right? And if you and I are opponents, I actually want you to play a weak return, right? Because that means when you come charging up to the net, I'm actually going to have a good advantage to either drive it at you or play that third shot drop into the kitchen or whatever. So if I can use my serve not as just something that starts the point, but something that makes the returner uncomfortable, I have a way better chance of controlling the point down the road. Now, of course, that with this reward right, of getting a weak return comes some risk. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to hit the ball within eight inches of the baseline, okay, there's a decent chance that you're going to miss some of those. Right? If you're trying to hit a short angle that goes just past the kitchen and goes out wide, yeah, you'll miss some. And if you're trying to hit a really hard serve, because you have to hit so low over the net, there will be some errors. So what I'm more interested in from a developmental point of view and as a, from a coaching point of view 
is that we sort of push ourselves to go for a little bit more on those serves to try to gain an advantage. And yeah, we will miss some, um, but that's why we practice, right? That's why we train. The same goes for the return. If I play, if I'm returning serve and I'm following it into the net, if I play a weak, short, high return, a nothing ball, and I come charging in, a good player will punish me for that. Whereas you see time and time again, if that return can be deep in the court and it pins the serving team back behind the baseline, they A, have a very difficult time playing a third shot into the kitchen, and B, they'll have such a long way to run to get up to the no volley line um, that they will likely be out of position by the time I play my volley. I think you'll see this if you watch, uh, that those first two shots, we're going to start to see that they're not used as nothing balls, they're not used as just prerequisites, they're not used as the two shots you hit before the real point starts. They will increasingly be shots that um, players are pushing themselves to hit better and better and to get more of an advantage early on. I've always wondered about that with the serve because they say that pickleball is one of the few games where the server is actually at a little bit of a, of a disadvantage. The uh, receiving team is supposed to win the point, uh, you know, 60% of the time. They say it's about a 60-40 split just because, you know, one of the uh, receiving team is already up at the line. And then the second member of the receiving team, they're going to pretty much get a free pass up to the line. So, you know, they're there. They're in position to win. And it's the serving team that is at a disadvantage. And I always wonder, well, you know, you have to use every tool in your arsenal to try to to level that playing field. So, you know, why not try to have a, a dynamite serve that throws them off a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I think that's totally right. I think, um, you know, and this is one of the, the fascinating things about pickleball to me is that, you're right, the returners do have the advantage, at least positionally, right? They are the first ones who can then gain the line and control the net. And that, in pickleball, is a huge advantage. And I agree with you um, that one way, and they're not going to make it a totally even playing field, but one way that they can challenge the returners a little bit more is if the servers are more intentional with the ball they hit, that they identify, hey, this guy's backhand is weak. Or you know what, he, you often see people really run around their backhand, uh, especially on the left-hand side if they're a right-handed player, mm-hmm. and forcing them to run around so that they're way off the court so that um, there's a very good chance that they aren't going to be able to get up to that line uh, as or much as they want to. if they do, they're way, they are way off the court and there's a huge gap between the two players because yes. the yes. other player isn't, isn't scooting over to cover that much, so you've got a big hole there. Yes, I'd be shocked if within three years, I mean, because even now when I watch some of the um, some of the better players in tournament play online, I still see quite a few times where those first two balls are essentially wasted, right? Mm-hmm. They're, hit, they're hit nothing balls. Mm-hmm. Um, I think two years from now, uh, with the growth of the game, with the increased number of top players, with people taking this more seriously as a sport and not just sort of a, a hobby, I think you'll see more and more that top players realize if they want to excel, if they want to push their opponents, they have to use those first two shots to try to gain an advantage because otherwise one loose shot and the tables are turned and you're, you're in trouble. I'm going to relay a conversation that I had with uh, somebody to, to back up your point here, to bolster your point and uh, maybe help bust this myth. Uh, this gentleman, I don't have permission to use his name, so I'm not going to name him, but he is a national singles champion. This gentleman told me that to him, the second shot, the return of serve is the most wasted shot. 
in pickleball that that is the shot that you need to uh, to maybe hit back with some force or some difficulty, either by its angle or by pace, to throw that serving team off so that it allows them not to set up a good third shot. They either they pop it up high or they go into the net. Either way, it's not a perfect third shot and you can do something with that right away. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that the margins are so slim that players uh, need to, need to push the envelope a little bit when it comes to that. And I think the return is a great way to do it. I know in our programs, like in the third shot sports clinics that we run, we are pretty demanding on our players that they don't play these so-called nothing balls. Um, most effective is that you can return that ball deep, that you can pin your opponents back so that A, that you're right, the third shot is tough, and B, they're going to have a tough time regaining the line. But I think um, what you just described is is obviously very relevant in singles and very relevant in doubles. And I, I'm excited to see um, the way the game evolves in the future because this idea that you should never miss your serve and return, to me what matters is what are you trying to do with it? Well, and if I, if I just have no control and I'm hitting it out, okay, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, but as a, as a coach, when I see my students missing their serve, but they're really going for it, right? They're trying to do something. And I think, you know what? They hit 200 more of those and instead of that ball landing two inches out, it lands two inches, two inches in, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how, that's how the game's going to go. So as a coach, um, I'm looking for my players to push a little bit and to, and you know, there's a difference between good misses and bad misses. And if you're making a good miss because you're trying for that effective shot that is going to have a benefit, yeah, in the short term, you lose those points and maybe even you lose a match. But in the long term, that is how you will become a better player. Now, as a coach, what is, I guess, what is the acceptable rate of misses for you? When would you call it to say, ah, you know what, you're missing too many of them, back off? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it depends on the context, right? If my players are playing in um, a friendly match, right, where there's nothing really on the line, then I would encourage them to really go for it, right? And mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're missing, I don't know, 30%, um, but you're miss- those, are, those misses are good misses, right? You're doing the thing we're working on sort of playing a practice match, then that's fine with me. If my player is playing in a, in a tournament that they care about, or even just any match that they care about, right? And we say, okay, this isn't the time to... Matches aren't the time to, um, to improve, mm-hmm. right? They're the time to sort of use the skills you have and then reflect on those so when you go back and you're practicing again, that's when you do the work to improve. So if I was, um, you know, if it was a match that mattered, that percentage would be much lower, Another relevant factor is where are we in the match, right? If I'm serving at 9-1, then I can afford to take a bit more risk and you know hit that ball harder or try for that sharp angle. But if I'm serving at 9-9, that might be a mistake. You need to train those decision-making skills, right? So players understand like when is it acceptable to take a risk and when is it time to sort of back off and be a bit more conservative. Well, I think that we can consider that myth busted. There you go. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, when you see the young players, what are your thoughts on how they comport themselves just throughout the whole tournament? Uh, it would have been much easier if you asked me what did I think of their skills. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, let, me, let, let me say this, and so I'll do this without saying names. Um, I think it's really exciting to see young players come up. I think. Um, they're they're fast they're strong they're creative like i love seeing the creativity out there um players jumping you know over the kitchen to hit the ball i think is fantastic i like that there's there's sort of a fire there right i like i like that i think it's good for the game overall i think for a lot of 
players who've been playing for a long time, I think it can be unsettling, right? When there's this new generation coming in. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, that's, that's how sport works. Uh, in terms of the comportment, um, look, whether it's in pickleball or tennis or some other sport, there's some people out there who are uh, more mature than others. And <laughs> what I don't want is that we hold on to a sort of really old kind of nostalgic view of sports, right? Um, I like the, some of the things that the new players bring, um, but I do think that it's important that we bring a certain amount of respect to the game, right? And I have seen some things that, you know, I look and I think that's a sign of immaturity. And I'm sure in a lot of those cases, then the players, upon reflection, they think, God, I just really sort of lost it there. I wish, you know, I'm sure they wish they could take it back the same way that all of us wish that we could take back certain things we did when we were young. Oh, yeah. So I, I don't think it's unique to pickleball. Um, and I think that those guys will learn. I think what matters now is that you have not sort of old guys stepping up saying, this is how you have to behave. But I think that we have new role models, right? And we have people who come up and um, show by example that you can be a great player as well as a great competitor, as well as a decent guy. And that doesn't mean to me being a pushover. You know, if you think that someone did something unfair or unethical or just plain wrong, I think you have a right to say something about that. But there's a way of saying something about that in a way that doesn't debase yourself. We're talking with Mark Rennison of ThirdShotSports.com up in Collingwood, Ontario. Mark, if uh, people want to get in contact with you or uh, check out some of your stuff, what should they do? Uh, well, our website, ThirdShotSports.com, we've got two streams. We've got Third Shot Tennis and Third Shot Pickleball. From there, you can, you can see all the stuff we've got. We've got YouTube videos. We've got articles. We've got tips. You can see the programs we're running. Um, there's a lot of new things that are coming out on a weekly basis. You can email me directly, mark at thirdshotsports.com. And you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. And uh, we'd love to get some feedback from anyone. Well, Mark, thank you for coming on the show, putting some new ideas into the mix and uh, giving us some things to think about. That's Mark Renison from thirdshotsports.com. Back with a tournament update after this. The Pickleball Show was brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free. It's the one and only Pickleball Show and your host, Chris Allen, joining us from PickleballTournaments.com. Here's Greg Thompson with a tournament update. Hey, Chris. How you doing? Doing good, man. How's it looking out there tournament-wise? Hey, tournament season is in full swing. Um, here in the Southwest in Surprise, Arizona, where I'm actually at, we have uh, the LeMaster Davison Classic coming up. Uh, it's going to be a great tournament. The dates are April 10th through the 12th. This is a money tournament, so you can come on out and get paid for this one. All right. The registration is on now, and the, the deadline for that is March 28th. So, yeah, come on out to Surprise, get your pickle on, and uh, get you know, get paid at the same time unless you come up in my division. Then I'm getting paid. <laughs> it's a win-win. That's going to be a great tournament. It's put on by Gigi LaMaster and our girl Sweet D from Mountain Festival. So it's going to be a really fun tournament. I hope everybody comes out for that one. Good deal. Where else are you going? 
Uh, we are also going up into the Southwest for uh, the Henderson Senior Games. I'm actually going to whoosh myself from here in Arizona up to the Henderson, Nevada Games to help these guys run this tournament April 15th through the 17th in Henderson, Nevada. Um, it's going to be a really fun tournament out there. It's great people in that part of the country. It brings folks from all around Arizona, Utah, California, and just a good set of people. They're getting discounts at the hotel there at the Sun City Aliante. So you can go out and uh, stay there for a discounted rate and play some pickleball. The registration deadline for that is April 4th. And that one's being put on by Ron Latour. Good deal. Let's travel to the Southeast, Chris. Yes, we're all over the place. Swish me into the Southeast for the Low Country Pickleball Classic. Being put on by Sandy Geis out there. It's going to be in Hilton Head, South Carolina. The dates are April 17th through the 19th. And the deadline to register for that is April 5th. So go ahead and get on that one. Um, they're going to have doubles and singles events at that one. And they also have a 2-5 level. So from what I've heard from you, Chris, you could even play in this tournament. <laughs> we will see. <laughs> but that's going to that's gonna be a great tournament. Again, it's the Low Country Pickleball Classic out in Hilton Head, South Carolina. You can almost smell the uh, shrimp and grits, can't you? <laughs> Indeed. All right, sounds good. We'll talk to you next week. All right, great. Hey, thanks, Chris. Talk to you soon. Yeah, lots of good tournaments coming up. Be sure and take part, enjoy, and best of luck to you. We also want you to take part in the Pickleball Hotline. Be part of this show. You have a question, a comment, a rant, a rave? Bring it on. Call toll-free 1-855-PB-SHOW. That's 1-855-PB-SHOW. And if we use your call in the show in the month of March you're automatically registered to win a free portable net system from our friends at PickleballPaddlesPlus.com. How cool is that, walking into your local pickleball club with a brand new net? That's going to be awesome. Head over to uh, iTunes also if you get a chance. Leave us a five-star review. That really helps boost us up in the rankings and makes it easier for pickleball players around the world to find this show. I'm Chris Allen. This is the Pickleball Show. And until next week, keep them low. The Pickleball Show is brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free.